spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascent Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we are joined by Adrian Gilbert, and this one was recorded in our time in London, and he is the author of the book The Signs in the Sky, and he also co-authored the book The Orion Mystery, and he's been researching ancient Egypt and ancient cultures for over 20 years, and in regards to the discoveries that were in his book that he actually co-authored with Rob Beveld, The Orion Mystery, these are some of the most crucial pieces of research found so far to understanding the mysteries of the pyramids. And I always remember that when I was in school and we were being taught about the pyramids and in fact many other many other megalithic structures around the world, the understanding and the stories that we were being told, looking back now for me, were really well were really ill informed. And I still kind of believe that some people still believe that old narrative that we were told a long time ago. But the more and more I do research and the more I come across new evidence and the more and more I have conversations with interesting people, you've just got to keep asking yourself what really was the meaning and the purpose of some of the most fascinating wonders of the ancient world? What what did the purpose of these structures hold? I mean, many of them around the world were some of the largest construction projects ever undertaken. And the main question that we actually wanted to attack in this podcast was the question why are there actually certain megalithic structures mainly mainly the pyramids scattered across the planet in seemingly random patterns and this is where adrian comes in because he and robin Verveld in the book the orion mystery have uncovered some really interesting evidence and that the key to the plan that was governed by the construction of the pyramids, they reveal in their book that they were actually much more than tombs and the pyramids were nothing less than a replica of heaven on earth with actually great astronomical position, which is really interesting. And this was a fascinating conversation. And if you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do this is through our Patreon page where you can donate whatever amount you can. And as you know, we've never bombarded you with stupid products that just don't serve you. All we ask you is if you can support the podcast for our Patreon page. So if you want to help us out and help something out that is a, is a conscious movement and you value what we're doing here, all you need to do is go to www.patreon.com ascend or click the link in the description of this podcast. So anyway, Adrian Gilbert, enjoy. Yeah, I come across your research and I was looking into some of the work that you were doing on the Orion mystery and um, your book as well called The Signs in the Sky is that correct? It's called Signs in the Sky yes, yeah. Yeah. and um, when I was doing some research on that I realised that and I've always been someone who's been fascinated by the ancients Chris has as well and obviously mm. with you writing this book I know you've been fascinated by the ancients as well but um, one thing I first wanted to ask you as well is I mean when you one thing that drew me to the book was the I haven't read the full book but I've obviously been able to like skim through certain chapters and there was a part that pulled my attention is when you, in that book when you were talking about the astronomical um, areas of the book and how um, civilizations in the past were um, using them structures to to line up to certain star systems and things like that but I mean what was it about the, uh, the astronomical side of things that drew you into the conversation what was it about that that fascinated you to do with the ancients yes um, well first of all I've been sort of very interested in astrology for many, many years. Mm. Uh, I, I can draw up your chart if you really wanted me to. <laughs> um, and I know people say, well, that's nonsense, it's not scientific. And yeah, I agree that maybe it isn't, but it works. Mm. You see, And this is the thing that what draws me to the ancients is I'm aware that, yes, there are certain things we know far more about than they do yeah. or did. But there seem to be things we've forgotten. Yeah. So 
what I'd look for is what is, what did they know that we have forgotten, and how might they have passed that information down to us if they were so so wishing to do. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a school teacher who was actually actually taught me physics, and he said, "How would you pass on a message to the future?" Yeah. They're not going to speak English, right? Yeah. They're probably not going to speak anything of the languages we know because we're talking about the far future. How would you pass a message? And he said, well, you can use the universal language of mathematics and astronomy. And so I've been kind of looking, using those tools to try to unlock lots of different areas. I mean, things like the pyramids the whole idea about them representing the belt of Orion which um, was Robert Boval's theory Uh, I came into it and we wrote a book together but it makes total sense and you can understand that the ancient Egyptians to them of course Orion's belt is where they wanted to go after death we have sort of ideas about heaven we say I want to go to heaven when when I die I better pray to Jesus and and, um, you know, I'll be a good person and I'll go to heaven, hopefully. Yeah. We don't really have a notion. You know, we just think of it as being an intangible, um, sort of ghostly area somewhere up there. Yeah. Um, we don't have that thing. But the, to the Egyptians, they're absolutely clear. There's Orion. Osiris is in the lower part of Orion. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we want to go. That's where he's got his throne. Um, we want to be in, in his kingdom. When you, sorry, Jermaine, sorry, Jermaine, yes. I always want to I forget a point, but when you were saying before about the, uh, using, yeah, um, did you, you said your school teacher taught you to use mathematics to actually, if you were going to send a message in the future, yes. you would use mathematics. Do you yes. think that's what the ancient Egyptians understood, that they had to use mathematics to transcend a language over to a civilization thousands, arguably thousands of years into the future or whatever the figure well, is? I mean, part of what it is, I mean, I, I remember when I was uh, being taught um, geometry everyone always says ah oh, well it's Euclid you know it's the Greeks mm, yeah. they developed geometry but that's not what the Greeks say they, they, they go back to Pythagoras right and you say ah oh, yeah Pythagoras theorem we all had to do that in school the square on the hypotenuse yeah. <laughs> because the, the, the uh, sum of the squares on the other two sides well then you discover that actually the Egyptians were using triangles and they seem to have known about this yeah and even more than that, they seem to have known about pi because they actually build the Great Pyramid with the pi relationship built into it. Yeah. So if they're not telling us anything else, what they are telling us is, hey, guys, we know about geometry. Yeah. Wow. Um, you, do you think we've even scratched the surface on what the um, Egyptians are actually telling us? I think there's an awful lot we don't know yet. Wow. Um, we are getting there bit by bit. But the problem is we have to, to, to think like them. And that's one of the problems that Egyptology today has, is it doesn't think like an Egyptian. Even yeah. the Egyptians don't think like Egyptians because they think like Muslims. Mm-hmm. Right? A Muslim has a very different approach to ancient Egypt yeah. from an ancient Egyptian would have had. He doesn't believe in all their gods and goddesses, and you know these are heathen things. There's only one god. It's really funny you saying that because we wasn't I just I was exactly just saying that to you on the mm. way down the pyramids because he asked me a question about um, do we think we'll ever understand the the full workings of what's going on? Just what he says to you and I said the same thing to you as well, didn't I? That mm. that in, in the minute in in when we are trying to measure certain things in life in everything in, in all through all ancient cultures like you said we you need to actually not be not use your the modern day mind actually sort of in a sense become uh, ancient and try and get in yeah. the, right deep in the in the workings of the mind and actually and then that's when you might have a chance you might have a chance yes. <laughs> well one of the things you can do to to help with that um, is research everything you can about a subject Right. Um, let's take King Arthur, for example. Yeah. Right. I've done two books on King Arthur. And you research everything you can. And by doing that, you actually put yourself on the frequency, you know, the mental frequency of that yeah. subject. Yeah. And you will actually draw to you the knowledge to do with that subject. Yeah. And so you will start having ideas and insights and things will click. And you can begin to pull these ideas together to get the bigger picture. 
and things also happen by chance. I'll, I'll tell you a little yeah. story here. I'll just I'll tell the story. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think, I mean, to me, that screams to me, sort of like we're tapping into the, like the, the own collective consciousness sort yeah. of thing. Absolutely. I'll let you finish your story, but I just want to say yeah. that, sorry. Well, I used to know a clairvoyant, a lady called Anne Walker, and she was quite a good clairvoyant. I mean, she could tell you what's going to happen next year, and, you know, yeah. up to a point. You know how it is yeah. with, with psychics. And um, she said to me, I was, I was off to Turkey, and she said, "Ah, oh, she said, yeah, you're going to, you're going to find a key. You're going to find, you know, this the secret door and the key to to open the door, um, to, to Egypt." It's oh, very odd. You know, why <laughs> would I find, you know, I'm expecting to find a key yeah. in Turkey to to open something in Egypt. Now, she actually had a bit of a pro. She's passed on now, so. I hope I'm not misrepresenting you if you're there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she had a bit of a problem in sometimes, I mean, she could see things and she'd tell you what she's seeing, but sometimes I think she was taking it too literally. Yeah. yeah. So if she, but other times, of course, she was dead right that it was literal. But what I found in Turkey was a particular shaft that pointed at um, a place in the sky to the west. It took me a while to work this out, but I did. And it was actually the shaft that twice a year, the sun would be exactly at that point, shining down this 150 foot long shaft into a mountainside oh, wow. that goes nowhere, right? And people had excavated this, they'd gone right down. At first they thought it was an escape tunnel, you know, if you're being attacked. But, you know, this was a monument to someone's father's death. I mean, yeah. why would you want an escape? Yeah. And then, and then they, th they thought, well, maybe, maybe it was someone's buried down there. But they dug all the way down. There's nothing there, no bones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just a shaft. But if you were down the bottom of that shaft, looking up on that day, you have a ray of sunlight coming all the way down. Yeah. So it kind of marking time. And I discovered when I used a program called Sky Globe, which you've probably read about. Very useful program because it. It's it's easy and it's quick. It's a DOS program, so it's not so u much used these days. But oh, yeah. you could very quickly move the sky around minute by minute. Um, you could set it to any date, any place on Earth, and you could see exactly what the sky was, where the planets were, and you could rotate uh, you know through the day. Yeah. And I discovered that twice a year, um, the sun would shine down this this tube as it were. And one time was when it was conjunct with the star Regulus in Leo, which given that the kings of Kamajin, which is where this, this shaft is. Yeah. Is, that, is it in Turkey? Is it in Turkey? It's in Turkey, yeah. yeah. Um, regarded themselves as being lion kings. They wore a crown with five rays on it. Leo is the fifth sign of the zodiac. They had a little dagger belt with five lion heads on it. Oh, wow. He wore a tunic with stars all over it. Right? These guys are really into the whole lion thing. So you can understand that the birthday of the king was considered to be the day of the conjunction of the sun with Regulus, the Lionheart star, in, in Leo. Right? Mm. And the other day was when the sun was exactly over the upstretched hand of Orion as it passed over that shaft. Wow. Now that, the monument at the top to this guy's father was to celebrate the birthday of the kings and his father's death. Oh, so wow. you can understand the birthday of the kings is the lion, you know, conjunction of yeah. with Regulus. So the death must be to do with this Orion and some over the hand. Oh. And at the time, I didn't quite understand why that would be. So I call this the, the shake hands position because yeah. <laughs> I had these uh, reliefs of... Um, Hercules shaking hands with the king. Yeah. So I thought, oh, maybe Hercules represents Orion. And he's shaking hands with the king, represented by the sun. But I discovered something else. But maybe we'll come back to that a bit later. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Mm. I was going to actually say, because I came to my mind, you were talking about that. I think it's also true, is that the king's chamber, the chamber in itself, is actually also aligned to Orion's belt as well. Yes. So, so I just a question from that. So, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but let's say... 
because th- I'm, I'm not 100 sure about this, but I think it was other civilizations around the world that also were fascinated by Orion. Mm. I mean, do you? I mean, do you? What? Why do you? I'm not even going to make assumption, but why do you think they were fascinated by Orion? Was it they? I'll, I'll let you. I'm not even going to make assumption. <laughs> anyway. I'll let you have a. I don't know how deep down the rabbit hole I want to go with yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but I'll just say first of all that I'll give you one of my theories, and then it might loosen you. Might loosen you. Might loosen you up a little theory. bit more. One of my theories that I heard actually is that Orion itself, the the ancient Egyptians and ancient cultures believed that they actually ancestrally came from there. From, yes. the, from a planet in that star system. So that might loosen you up yeah, a bit to where yeah, you, how yeah. loose you can go. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, before I, before I answer that question head on, let's, let's just look at some of these cultures. First of all, there's the ancient Maya. And I've mm. written two books to do with them, the, the Mayan prophecies and the end of time. And uh, the Maya believed that their creator gods came from Orion, right? That the... They, they saw the lowest star of the belt, mm-hmm. a star called Alnitak. And then the two which mark Orion's knees, Saif and Rigel, form a triangle. And in the middle of the triangle, you've got what's called Orion's sword, right? And it has a nebula in it. And it's actually the closest nebula to us on Earth. You can actually, if you've got good eyesight, which I haven't, but if you have, you can actually see it with the naked eye. Oh, wow. And it's also, you know, in a telescope, it's really good. And if you go and Google Orion's belt or Orion, you can get some wonderful Hubble pictures of the Orion Nebula, oh, wow. which is a birthplace of stars. So the astronomers tell us there's massive plasma clouds there. And there's new new stars being formed there, and it's a place of intense activity mm-hmm. in the heavens. There's a lot of energy there. Mm-hmm. Is that from past um, from past um, like planets being there, or past stars being there? Is it's a place of high energy, oh, wow. right? So, the ancient Egyptians and the ancient Maya believed that their ancestors came from there, or let's say. The human race came from there. Yeah. Right? In my researches, which you were talking about, uh, The Signs in the Sky, but also another book I wrote called Magi, I discovered that the whole of the Christian religion is actually an update of the ancient Egyptian (laughs) Orion religion. But people don't realize it because they don't use the keys and they've not been taught to look. But so much of what we think of as Christianity is actually come from Egypt or from the ancient Egyptian wisdom, I should say. Oh, wow. So you can imagine, now I'll put it in these terms, that think of Osiris is supposed to have come to Earth from the stars, brought about civilization in Egypt, taught the people religion, how to build things, temples, gave them agriculture, gave them wheat, um, etc mm-hmm. and then he's murdered by his wicked brother who's called Set yeah. and cut up into pieces and the pieces scattered along the Nile you know the story I'm sure mm, yeah, I've heard it, yeah. and then Isis gathers the pieces up binds them together to make the first mummy resurrects him and somehow manages to get pregnant from him mm. we don't know how but that's the myth and then she gives birth to a son called Horus and, and uh, Osiris ascends, he goes back to heaven, right? Oh. So we have a death, resurrection, and ascension, Yeah. right? <laughs> the son, Horus, when he grows up to reach manhood, he takes on his wicked uncle Set and overthrows him and establishes the line of Pharaoh kings who, when they're alive, they're regarded as incarnations of Horus. And when they after they've died they get have to go through the whole mummy process so they can be like Osiris to be resurrected and ascend back to the stars so they then have an Osiris name so while they're alive they're Horus so and so after they're dead they're Osiris so and so so you can begin to see the connection there with the whole Christian idea Jesus comes to earth he grows up He's a great teacher. He should be king, but he's not allowed to be. He gets murdered. He's brought back to life. 
and he ascends. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, and if you think about it, the Egyptians believed that Osiris came from Orion as an avatar. Mm. Oh, wow. Where do you think Jesus came from? And one of the other things that I discovered, um, and if you haven't got to this, you will do in Signs in the Sky, is that the he promises he's coming back and there are all sorts of promises about he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem it's just outside on the east side of Jerusalem Mm -hmm. and this twigged when I was actually in Jerusalem um, back in I think it was 99 98, 99 and I was staying in this awful hostel just near the the, uh, Jaffa Gate I'd, I'd, I'd been warned off this place, and this this Arab guy kind of grabbed me by the sleeve. You'll stay in my hotel. You'll stay in my hotel. Yeah, yeah. And somehow I just couldn't resist. You know, I was just <laughs> pulled along by the moment. Yeah. You know how it is. Sometimes you just yeah, yeah, yeah. you get overwhelmed and, you, and you're tired. And you know, I was pulled along, so I ended up in this horrible hotel. Yeah, the universe just pulls you into it. Yeah, <laughs> but there were a bunch of sort of backpackers and people. They used to go up on the roof. You know, to drink some wine, maybe barbecue something, and uh, maybe something else. <laughs> and I went up on the roof to party with the, the other people. And then I looked across, and you could look over the roofs of Jerusalem from this place, old Jerusalem I'm talking about, yeah. and the Mount of Olives just beyond it. And I saw Orion over the top. And I thought, oh my God, yes, of course. Oh. It's to do with the rising of Orion. And oh. I realized that in the Bible it's, uh, we've gone into Bible now by the way yeah. in the Bible <laughs> it talks about lightning going from the east to the west so will be the coming of the son of man as one of the signs in the sky for what we should be looking out for for the end of the age and I looked in the Greek text and I saw that lightning in the Greek text is astrope and I don't know if you know Greek but a Greek yeah, R is written like a, what we would see as a P. Their P is, is pi, you know, it's like yeah, a little table. Yeah. Well, the, a, a Greek, a, an R sign in Greek looks like a P to us, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. So I think someone mistranslated this, that it should have been asterase, that when you see the stars, the asterase, rising in the east and going to the west, so will be the coming. And I don't think it's, it should be so will be. I think it should be then will be the coming of the Son of Man. And I realized that the belt of Orion has been rising steadily because of the procession of the equinox. And I don't know if we're going to go into that, but it's a slow movement of, of, of the earth that makes the stars, some of them appear to rise and others to go down. Yeah, could you, I was going to say, just before you go there as well, could you actually just, just go in a bit more detail of what actual the procession of the equinox, I can't say the word, equinox is. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know that the, the earth is a flattened sphere yeah. and it has a pole right uh, you know, axis running up yeah, from yeah. north to south but it wobbles a little bit like a spinning top mm-hmm. so where that pole points in the sky sort of moves very very slowly it takes 26,000 years to make one revolution so wow. it's slow wow. in our terms yeah. um, it's very slow and it points to different stars the time with the Egyptians I was going to say they knew that as well, though, didn't they? Yeah, they, they, it was pointing at Thuban in the constellation of Draco the Dragon, or they saw it as a hippopotamus, by the way, at that time. But um, we would call it Draco and the, the star Thuban. Yeah. And it's moved away from that. It now points at what we call Polaris, yeah, the pole star. Do, do you, sorry to jump, jump yes. in, but do you, do you actually understand, do you know when, um, when did like sort of modern modern sort of man and woman woman just i don't want to sort of rule out woman because everyone says man don't yeah, they? Yeah. when it when it when modern human beings let's say did you know when they actually start to understand that the possession of the equinox yeah it's the greeks in the, yeah. about the second century ad yeah but was there because i think was there a period though where there was a, a time where people forgot that and then we only understood that now do you know when the period yeah. was that we start to understand that now well around as i say i think it's hipparchus discovered the it yeah the greeks in, in the greeks but the, the ancient mayans knew about it yeah that's what's so amazing it's um, interesting how that never got lost all that um yeah. like through the dark ages or anything like that like that that knowledge is being kept and it's since been like evolved from us right yeah. now but like how did that like keep seeing well like, because 
people are very interested in the idea now because of this movement it, it, as well as the pole pointing at different stars it means that the uh, the relationship between the equator of, of the Milky Way uh, mm-hmm. not the Milky Way of the celestial sphere yeah you imagine this big sphere of stars all the way around the earth and you have what's called the ecliptic which is the pathway of the sun you know the sun goes through the stars Mm -hmm. it goes through the zodiac in fact um, moving one day a year and it crosses over the ecliptic and that's kind of moving around so you get the situation where the first day of spring appears to be within a different sign of the zodiac yeah oh wow Uh, every 2000 years or so so it was in for instance in really ancient old kingdom egypt it was in the sign of taurus hence the bull cults and all of that then it moves around time when moses would have been around according to the sign of aries which is the ram so you know that's why he's so upset you know worshipping golden yeah. calves you know you should be worshipping sheep because <laughs> well, it's time I was going to as well on that I mean that's so fascinating but why do you actually think that uh, the ancients took it upon themselves to sort of pers- preserve information like that I mean did you, do you think that they're well they believe yeah. they believe the inf- they, they had also they, they saw the world in a different way from the way we do yeah time of Jesus it's moved into Pisces which mm-hmm. is the fish so the whole, you know, the uh, Christian thing is all about the fish. Jesus is the fish, Pisces. Um, so, oh, sorry, and I just thought as well. Um, so with the, um, a lot of the, um, the story that you were telling us, like um, how the story of Jesus is very similar to like through e- ancient e- Egyptian is. texts. Very similar. Is it, is it like these texts have just been adapted through like astrology? Well, to change through astrology. I wouldn't put it like that um, because the events and this is another thing i discovered when i was researching signs in the sky and magi the the major events of jesus's life that we have recorded in the bible you can actually work out when those happened oh wow and now it's a little bit complex and i have put put in um how this is worked out but you can work out that his baptism took place in 26 AD, right? He's born. He's born around about seven, seven BC, mm-hmm. right? Um, actually, I think he was born on the I think it's the twenty eighth or 29th of July. Right? Was yeah. it the date then that you would have had the regulus conjunction? Mm-hmm. That's when I think it happened. Twenty six AD. If you go to the the original baptism of Jesus was celebrated as the epiphany right we, we, we celebrate the epiphany as the three kings coming with their presence mm-hmm. yeah that wasn't what the early church celebrated they celebrated the baptism in the river Jordan epiphany means manifestation and it was the manifestation of the light over the Jordan is what they were celebrating with the start of Jesus's mission is timed from then and curiously, if you go to 26 AD, this is all in my book, mm-hmm. and you look at the 6th of January, right? You will find that the sun was positioned uh, in the sign of Capricorn, the goat, underneath the outstretched hand of Aquarius. Oh. So you've got the symbol of the baptizing hand of John over the goat. and. Basically, Jesus is taking on the role of the scapegoat. And if you go into the Old Testament, you discover that they had a ritual where they would put the sins of the nation on the head of a goat and then send it out into the desert to meet the devil and take the sins back. Oh, wow. Right? Jesus, immediately after his baptism, he goes into the desert and he meets the devil who gives him temptations. Mm-hmm. You probably read this yeah, some time yeah, ago. Yeah. So you're, you're having a reenactment there of the Jewish ritual, and it's tied in with the signs in the sky again. Oh wow! And all of the I found all the others like the the, uh, the date of the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. They all fit into this narrative, sort of symbolic positions of the sun 
at different times oh, wow. and, and staff positions. And there's like this great that tableau in the sky yeah. representing what's being happening. So it's as above, so below. How, it, it can't be such uh, a coincidence. Sorry, I was just going to say that can't be a coincidence. No, it, can't be. it has yeah. to be. I was going to say as well, how, how do you think that actually, how do you think these ancient cultures actually calculated the, the celestial patterns? What, what I, the ones I'm talking about? Yeah, or all of them. Any, all I think really. it kind of happened that way. Yeah. And I, I think there's other forces involved. Yeah. It's not that the, the guys were saying, right, we're going to crucify him on this day because yeah. that's going to be just right for... No, mm, it wasn't yeah. like that. But kind of things happen. And it's, it's kind of indicating to me, maybe not to other people, but to me, that there is a higher intelligence working here. Yeah. That's directing it's, it's even in this. terms of well, it was something I was thinking of in my head there. Mm-hmm. My mind is when the ancients were predicting certain things. I mean, I think with the minds they predict, they predicting they were predicting solar eclipses and things that are only yes. happening now on the planet. I mean, yeah. how did how did they even do that? I mean, did they have? I mean, there's, there's people talk about how they had some sort of mechanical device that could sort of like some sort of not what we would perceive as technology now, mm. but something on a, another form of another form of well, they, working on another form of science. They got the knowledge, mm-hmm. and they had look-up tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you're too young probably to have come across <laughs> logarithms. I don't think I've heard but of that. <laughs> when I was a boy and we were doing maths, we didn't have pocket calculators. Yeah. You had to, you had either you're going to do a sort of uh, multiplication with sort of ten on that places of uh, number on that line and ten on the other. You got to multiply. Oh, yeah. Them. Oh, yeah, come on, how would you do that? <laughs> or you could do it with log tables and um, basically what you would with with a log table you're working out the numbers 10 to the something gives you that number and you can go backwards and you can end up then that you just have to do additions instead of multiplications yeah. so you look up the log of one number the log of another add them together and then you go to your anti-log table and it gives you the answer so that's kind of how we would do that now. They had lookup tables for eclipses, for positions of Venus, uh, positions of of Mars, and but to calculate those in the first place, they had to know about the cycles of those planets. So somebody had to put those tables together, and we don't know who. Oh, we just oh, have oh. tables, or what's left of them. Most of them got burnt by the Spanish, but what's left, particularly in the Dresden Codex. We can see that they had tremendous amount of knowledge about calendrics, and oh. if I can just stay with the Maya for one, one minute. Yeah, go ahead. Um, the great discovery about Mayan timekeeping is what's called the long count. Um, they they had different types of counting time, but the long count, they had a notional start date for the beginning of their age which I think was in 3113 BC, right? I think it was, it was in August. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I forget, I think it's the 12th of August, something like that. It's a long time since I've worked on this. And then they're counting the days, you know, one after another, and they, they have methods of counting using, uh, counting in twenties mm-hmm. rather than tens. And then the end of that time, would be 13 times 400 years which took them exactly to the winter solstice in 212 2112 yeah 2012 and you remember all the fuss about 2012 oh it's the end of the world it's the end of their calendar of that period 13 Bactons which they we then move into the next age so we are actually in the next Mayan age Mm. It's, it's moved. It doesn't mean there's going to be a huge end of the earth, but it does mean a change in consciousness. Yeah. So something has changed, and it might not be fully manifested. In fact, I'm sure it isn't. But we are moving into a different direction because the mm. you know the it's like going from spring into summer, or winter into spring. You know, it's a it's a grey area exactly when when it occurs. We yeah. thought we were going into spring, didn't we? And now we, you know, the last two days we've had snow everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, the actual spring equinox is in the, just a few days' time. Oh. But the actual real spring is says, ah, oh, yes, really, it's here. But we know it's around that time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of what's happened with the Mayan calendar. They know that it's moving into the next season. 
I think when we look at it right now, and we look at the Mayans, we look at the Egyptians, we start to get like an understanding of their vast wisdom, knowledge, and resources available. Yeah. And we we right now can really look back and we really get and like analyze it in the aspect of like being fascinated by it. And there is a, so many points what you've like given which proves how their um, knowledge on astronomy and their like their calculations of the stars, the movement, the patterns, everything. Is there much they got wrong though? Now that we're a bit more like I'm not going to say advanced or anything, but now where we're looking at now, can we see any parts of what they've got wrong? Yeah, I think it was uh, not a very good idea to be pulling people's hearts out, <laughs> yeah, sticking yeah. them into trays. Uh, to I was mean uh, in <laughs> yeah. the aspect of like astrology, Astrono- astronomy, astrology. Well, they they obviously had different ideas about it from us. Um, I wouldn't like to comment too much on that because I probably don't know. Yeah. Mm. You know, I know a bit about it and what they were up to, but I'm not an expert. But the the overall impression that I get is that what we see as the Aztec and Mayan religions as experienced by the, the first conquistadors going there mm. was actually a, a decadent remnant of something much older than that yeah which i personally think goes back to atlantis but that's a whole other story again yeah i was going to say i was fascinated i was going to say though as well before um like talking in terms of how did they get this knowledge i I think it was was it i think it was robert vavell who was talking about this i would love to see your thoughts on this but he was saying that he had made an assumption that this the way they actually got this information from wasn't sort of so we try to like analyze this like we said before we try to analyze the science for our our human sort of lenses that we have now mm-hmm. but he was talking about how we've seemed to we've seemed to lost something in the past that is more than like a metaphysical science that they could actually internally mm. like take this knowledge from within and us as human beings now on the mm. planet we've sort of lost touch with that but the ancients understood that this information was always is, is always with inside of us all yeah yeah mm. um i'd like to put that slightly differently yeah. um i'm very much a hermeticist Right, uh, that needs a little bit of explanation. But the, there's a collection of Egyptian writings called the Hermetica, mm-hmm. and I actually republished that in 1991. Um, and that's kind of like a late flowering of the Egyptian religion, as understood about the first second century mm-hmm. AD. Oh, wow! All right, so it's just before Christianity took over Egypt. Now the Hermetica looks back to um, a guy they call Hermes Trismegistus, thrice greatest Hermes, and the first book in the Hermetica, or they call them libelle, which means pamphlet or you know, kind of like a small book. Mm. Uh, we would call it probably a chapter, but they don't sort of have that same organized configuration. But the first one goes back to the actual initiation experience of Hermes himself. And he talks about how he was um, in his room and he sort of goes into this trance state and he collapses because he's overwhelmed by it. And this massive being appears to him wow. um, who calls himself Poimandris, which means the shepherd of men. And he takes him out of his body and he, he goes and he, he sees the celestial spheres and he's instructed in how everything works and how man came here, etc. And then after that, he becomes a teacher and he instructs his, his students. And the rest of the Hermetica is all kind of discussions, a bit like Platonic dialogues, you know, that you get Socrates with so and so. And that's sort of. yeah, so it's yeah, written yeah. in that style. And it's actually written in Greek because, it, you know, the, the, this was sort of in Alexandria where people spoke Greek. So, but it has this. This, uh, what's different from the Greek philosophy is it has a great emotional feeling about it. And that's mm. why I like the Hermetica. The, you, you really feel these people had heart. Mm. It's not all up here, it's yeah. heart. Mm. So what I would say is this, that if you are someone who uh, is of a religious inclination, and I use that term not in the ways generally used normally today, what that person is doing is they are reconnecting with the higher mind, which is what Hermes Trismegistus is doing. Poimandris yeah. says, yeah, I am the higher mind, yeah. mm. the mind of the Almighty. 
and he connects with that higher mind and it instructs him. Well, I can see it as possible for shamans of other places as well, ancient Egyptians, for example, or, or Mayans, also the British, who, you know, the people who built Stonehenge. Mm. And I was just going to say about that, that we have this um, Sir Nabis giant here, yeah? Well, that C-E-R-N, CERN, or probably should be pronounced more like Kern, mm -hmm. or Kern, yeah? So he is actually Hearn, the hunter, the hunter god, who is oh, actually wow. Orion. And if you look at the Cern Abbas giant, you'll see it is actually an Orion figure. So there was an Orion religion in this country as well, only we've kind of lost almost everything to do with it. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that from Orion is where the saviors come to reinvigorate mankind. So like missionaries come from there to, to help us. Yeah. Mm. So if you say, like, here's something. Say if you were to, um, with all that information that you just said there as well and understanding the research you've done, let's see if you were to put, I know obviously it is sort of the million dollar question, but if you see if you were to put, um, if you were like seeing a casino and you had to put all your chips into one mm. pile, would you say that, would you, with the research you've done, yeah. would you, would you say that, it maybe all these cultures were tapping into something internally, like where they were, like on a metaphysical level, where they were gaining this knowledge and understanding. Or would you say that it was more sort of extrinsically where they were getting this information from worldly beings, or maybe yeah. or was it both together? Yeah, um, I do believe that periodically messengers are sent. Right in the but form it, of DMT, <laughs> in the form of psychedelics, <laughs> as well. No, no, no. Um, I'm thinking more. We have the story of Jesus being born in the manger, mm -hmm. and in order to live on this planet, you need one of these. And yeah. the only way you get one of these is through a woman. You know, I'm, mm. I'm pointing at my body. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be born, but your soul can come from somewhere else. It can be a very high soul, it can be a novice soul, it can be a former murderer's soul, yeah. it can be all sorts of different types yeah. of souls. But we, I personally believe in reincarnation, that we've all been here many times, or most of us, many times over. But periodically, a very high being gets sent down here, and it can be an Osiris. And see, I don't believe in extraterrestrials landing in spacecraft yeah right because they're going to have real problems coming into this atmosphere from wherever they come from i doubt they're going to have 16 percent oxygen yeah the rest nitrogen a little bit of carbon dioxide oh great you know the strawberries there we can eat strawberries <laughs> yeah. yeah they're not going to be able to process the nature on mm. this planet mm -hmm. yeah they're going to have to be in a spacesuit all the time aren't they yeah. and uh do they know how, how are they like us able to separate metals out of ores and do all that but what I do believe in is angels mm. and archangels and spirits and I can certainly believe in the incarnation of high beings yeah. onto earth mm. it's like the whole Dalai Lama thing isn't it it's sort of the the idea of these high lamas that yeah. come back, mm. bodhisattvas that reincarnate to come and help the rest of us. They don't have to be here. They could be buggering off somewhere else. They've earned the right to go away. Yeah. But they come back out of love for us to help us. I think it's true. I think right now we're getting to the point where we're actually seeing that we've, we're seeing so many different beautiful understandings of like existence and the mere fact that we're even talking about the vastness of like where our consciousness comes from or where our consciousness is going yeah. just goes to show how far and advanced this civilization is that we can even get to the point where we can ask yeah. them questions on a just a scale of just yeah. two yeah. young guys and yes. like you yourself sir and we just talk and like on subjects which would be like classes banned really we'd all be burned at the stake wouldn't we <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. not that many years ago no about 50 years ago we'll probably be <laughs> classed like as heretics <laughs> how dare you say that <laughs> what you were saying before as well like, about the aliens and it wouldn't be in the form of like a UFO I've, I've really I've contemplated that and that, when I said before about DMT yeah. that's what I meant because a lot of people have yeah. theories that if an alien race was trying to communicate with us there's this resurgence of psychedelics yeah. where yeah. people are talking about people have uh, magic mushrooms or whatever it is and different psychedelics and they 
I mean, it was Dr. Rick Strassman. He did a very extensive research on DMT, the spirit molecule, where every single encounter that his subjects had with through through their dimethyltryptamine, mm. it was always with a grey alien. They, mm. all, they always said it was a grey alien. So I mean, mm. like you like you said, the alien itself wouldn't have to come across vast distances. It could no. use other means to communicate with us, yeah, and whether yeah. it's them actually becoming through our consciousness, through DMT, whatever it is, but. Yeah, maybe as well yeah. e- EIs in the future it could be well, they, 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 could, they could become an EI that could be the way they could see it <laughs> if, if you're able to, to see a, 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 an entity materialising right then it could take any form it wants yeah and it's going to take a form that you're going to understand yeah of course and for some people a very religious person so it's going to look like a saint yeah right? So, oh yeah, oh, that's St. Matthew or St. John or something. Yeah. And, you know, they see him, he's very holy and he's dressed in a robe, etc. For someone who's into UFOs, it might well come down, you know, and appear as an alien yeah. because that's the language that they understand. The message might be the same. Yeah. Mm. That we're here to help and, you know, we want this planet. The planet's going through a big change. You've got to work with it and do good. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the message can be the same, but the, the person, the, the look of the messenger, can change mm. yeah it's interesting just to go back as well before I mean when we're talking about uh, on an astronomical level before is there any other sort of anom- anomalies or interesting things that you've come across in your work of other stuff I mean obviously we know that Orion was very fascinating to ancient cultures is there any mm. other any other star systems or any or anything that was you found mm. uh, found picked up in your work that you found mm. fascinating mm. well I mean the northern stars are pretty fascinating but for a different point of view um there are, and I'm, I'm actually sort of researching this sort of at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this understanding that the opposition come from the northern stars. That set, you know, the old set, yeah. he's connected with the northern stars and you've got this leg um, constellation, this foreleg of the ox, which is associated with him, which is the big dipper. Oh. As the Americans would call it, we would call it the plough. Um and the hippopotamus goddess, often you know, linked with a crocodile, um, that is Draco in the ancient Egyptian oh, wow. conception. So it's, it's like you've got this dichotomy between the Orions, yeah. who are kind of like the uh, initiators of the human race helping us, moving us up, and these reptilians and, and other dark forces coming from the north star regions mm-hmm. who are also take, trying to take over the earth so you've got this kind of war in heaven going on mm-hmm. which is actually described in the bible as war in heaven yeah um and the in the bible it talks about how satan is thrown down to earth now i've started doing a little bit of research on the whole subject of dragons oh, wow. um and the more I go into it, I've been watching some of these videos on YouTube and things about this, and, and it does make a lot of sense. You know, have you seen about um, the, this paleontologist, Mary something, I can't remember her other name, God. from Mon- in Montana, I think, in, or South Dakota in America. I haven't heard of her. And she's been doing research on dinosaur bones, right, and particularly T-Rex. And she got it into her, her head to clean up this this bone and put it in acid. And lo and behold, all the bone dissolved away. But it left this organic material behind, oh. which was flexible. And, and under the microscope, she was able to see red blood corpuscles and the, the you know, blood channel, you know, small arterioles and things in it. Mm. <laughs> and when they eventually carbon dated, they, they did this number of samples, and they actually carbon dated this material because you couldn't carbon date a fossil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when they actually carbon dated this material, it was coming up around about I think it was twenty five thousand BC or something. Well, not the millions and millions. Not of years. millions and millions of years ago. So when you start thinking that way, you say, "Hang on a minute." When you look at all these pictures of dragons, they look like dinosaurs, right? Mm. Now, how come these ancient people... And you can go back, you can find paintings and things done hundreds of years ago, long yeah. before they were digging up fossils. Yeah. yeah. You can find inscriptions on walls. You can find 
artwork. I mean, there was a wonderful thing I was looking at. It was a, um, in Angkor Wat, there was actually a representation of what looks exactly like a stegosaurus. Yeah. Now, how did these people know that there were stegosauri if yeah. they never saw one? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of... I've seen a lot of evidence suggesting that human civilizations in the past may have walked among dinosaurs and Absolutely. things like that. And I mean, it's interesting though, you th- like, that's a, very hard for like the, the modern mind, like, yeah. a, the modern analytical mind to sort of think about that. But if you, it's, it, I think it's so incredible that even if you, we have proof that dinosaurs existed on the planet, and I think it's so credible if you actually just, because people are, are living the modern day lives now, you go outside, there's a car outside driving down the right. road or whatever. Mm. There's this modern day lifestyle of this technological advancement, but like, not that long, not that long ago in the human experience, there was there would have been like a, a huge dinosaur walking through the town. Like, well, probably not that often. You, you know what I mean? You know, but yes, but I mean don't it's, it's conceivable that. that within historical times there were still dinosaurs, yeah. which they called dragons. Yeah. Right. So we we you know you talk to parents, they say that oh, that's absolute nonsense because we know the dinosaurs died out in 65 million years ago and there must have been an asteroid that crashed into mexico killed them all off that's only a theory yeah of course and it rests on another theory um which is that things in geology happen very very slowly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah? of course the, the history of the Earth goes back four and a half billion years, you know, yeah. and it happens ever so slowly. And and then the dinosaurs die, and then the, the Earth builds up over them. You get these layers, and the dinosaur birds, and then you get other layers. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, but when you go into it in a little more detail, you discover weird things. And there's another video I was watching on this things like frozen in time, right? First of all, how is it you get certain of these fossils which are perfect yeah I mean it would all rot away or if there was dead something lying around other things are going to come and eat it aren't they and scavenge yeah. it and you just get a few bones maybe but you wouldn't get much would you yeah. but they find a perfect um, situation where you have a, a, a dinosaur actually in the process of, of grabbing a fish now how could that be you know mm, I mean it, yeah uh, and then it's fossil. The, the two are all fossilized together. So there, there is actually some work going on. There's a guy in Australia doing this, examining how things can be fossilized very quickly by electricity. And the starting point for this research was in Canada, where they were putting in some power lines, and you know they cut down some trees, you know, yeah. to clear the way. And then there was some, I don't know if it was an earthquake or a storm or something, but then these power lines came down and rested on the tree stumps and, you know, there for some time, you mm-hmm. know, and huge electricity going through these things. And when they came back and, you know, switched it off and come back to fix it, they find these tree stumps were fossilized. Oh, now, wow. How could that wood be turned into stone so quickly? Mm-hmm. How could that possibly happen? It doesn't fit with any of this paleontology that we've been taught. Mm. It makes you think that maybe there are catastrophes when maybe the dinosaurs were wiped out in a catastrophe that was electrical in nature yeah. and not a crashing asteroid. Now, again, this is something I've only just started getting yeah, into. Yeah. And, and I know there are other people of much further down this path than I am. So I'm... I apologise to them. I'm not trying to steal your fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just getting interested yeah. in it. I think I think you might be onto something if if you're one of those researchers. I think that's what we all got. We've all got to do. I mean, that's the fact that why we're here now is because we're just we're just having a curiosity in many different topics. Yes. Like if it's the ancients, it's astronomy. Because if it's the dinosaurs, whatever it is, because all these different all these different areas, whatever it is, they all intertwine and all link and they're all a part of our human story of we, we, you, you're asking I'm asking you're asking people who listen to this are asking the question who are we where do we come from yeah. where are we go and what are we do and and these are the basic fundamental questions of a human being that everyone should be asking so I mean you, we should never ever 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 have to, have to sort of say that like you said like you said there you should never have to say that have that doubt in your mind that you shouldn't be asking these questions because that is who we truly are exactly. we are the we are the questions themselves that's what I think. Well, we have every right to. And, and what we forget is a lot of what we take for granted as fact yeah. is actually only a hypothesis or theory. Yeah. So the whole idea that... I'll give you an example. I mean, the, the whole idea of evolution. 
right? That's a big subject. Yeah. And what we're taught is that there was some amino acids or something that formed in the atmosphere, yeah. and somehow these molecules gather together and 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 they they sort of form the first single cell bacteria. Mm-hmm. And then that bacteria, for reasons best known to itself, started turning into something a little bit more yeah, complicated. Yeah, yeah. And then gradually the whole thing you know, becomes more complicated still and you end up with fish climbing out of the water and then they turn into frogs and, and gradually they grow legs and they and gradually turn into some, you know, this whole idea that there's, there's no reason for this other than um, survival of the fittest. Mm. And things just change like that. You know, there's a gamma ray comes in and changes the genetics of this thing and and it turns into something else and oh lo and behold that was a much more yeah. successful thing than the ones who didn't change so it's the one that survived mm. well, I don't buy into that I mean you know as well as I do that to change a car right you could have had a 1904 Derek right like yeah. in Genevieve and no, yeah, barely that. get down to Brighton if you're lucky yeah <laughs> Um, now you can have a modern, I don't know, Formula One car or a, a Jaguar or, or something. You know, with all the mod cons of windows, that press the button, you flip it to lock it. You, you know, you've got air conditioning, you've got everything, radio, fantastic speaker system. Do you really want to tell me that that could just turn into that without people thinking hard and working on problems one yeah. after another? Mm. transforming things one after another learning by their mistakes and deliberately doing things there has to be a guiding intelligence behind do you, do you mean are you talking in terms of um, an internal guide, guided intelligence or external because I'll just give you a quick example of what I mean by that is that I was I was in the I was in the theory of like you said there that of natural evolution couldn't be possible but I watched a documentary that, um, a couple of weeks ago um, and it was a fish that it over, I think it was over a period of 30 days, changed itself. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but a fish itself changed mm. itself from a male into a female. And I'm not saying that's obviously, to wait to me anyway, that's data, a state of evolution, how long has that took? But to me, that's that was uh, internal intelligence that did that. Are you talking internal mm. intelligence or like an external intelligence? That's a terrifying Just, thought, isn't it? Yeah. You might say it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but... Um, what is internal what is external kingdom of heavens within you yeah and mm. the obviously it has got to be changed internally if yeah. it's going to turn into something else but where does that intelligence come from yeah and it comes from a different plane it comes from from mind yeah and i was talking about hermes trismegistus and he's in communication with the higher mind yeah well the higher mind might have ideas about what it wants here on earth yeah mm. so what i'm seeing is this whole dinosaur thing let's call them dragons as being one path of evolution and something else saying hang on a minute we don't really want that yeah and there being a kind of battle then between these lines of evolution of which one's going to dominate this planet and we've wiped out the dinosaurs yeah um some of their relatives the crocodiles are still around Mm. and and their descendants the birds because we now, now know that birds are descended from dinosaurs. So what's going to wipe us out? <laughs> well, it's a good question, right, isn't us. it? <laughs> Ourselves. What comes after us? <laughs> yeah. That's the question. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's probably a good place to finish on as well, because obviously we're short for time as well. But I, thank you so much for your time. We'll definitely have to do this again, one million percent. We haven't mentioned the Electric Universe. I know. Yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to touch on that as well. And... Um, well, I was going to say, that's probably a good question to leave to the listeners as well. What will come next after exactly. human yeah. beings? thank you so much wow what a great conversation that was with adrian we had such a great time talking to him and we're really gutted that we had to cut this one short we would love to have this podcast go on for at least another two hours but on the way down to london our train broke down and we were delayed by nearly two hours getting into london so we just had to squeeze this one in before our second a second guest actually arrived at the place that we use in london but hopefully that won't happen again and sometimes the universe does weird things like this as you know so anyway i just want to say as well that if you feel you gain value in these conversations and the podcast in general please consider becoming a patron and supporting the podcast patreon really is the best way 
to support the podcast and support what we're doing here in any amount and honestly any amount that you choose will be huge help and me and chris are as you know are now traveling to different parts of the country and we're bringing you the most genuine and authentic in-person conversations and the more that people who can support us it will be really a huge help and even if we just get enough money each week to cover our train tickets that would be absolutely awesome and really incredible so if you want to help the podcast out and support for our patreon page all you need to do is go to our patreon page at www.patreon.com send or even click the link in the description to this podcast on the app that you're listening to this on so anyway we'll catch you next week where we have another powerhouse for a podcast as always peace and love